you already know where to go to get the score after the game. But if you want a deeper conversation with a Philadelphia sports figure, listen to one-on-one with Matt Leon on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Okay, Brian and Sabrina, did you remember to get a Mother's Day gift? My sister did. <laughs> Listen, I don't feel bad this time because I'm usually the one who gets the Christmas gifts and signs her name and she Venmos me. So we just switched positions this time. Love you, mom, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I think the real question is not did I remember, but did I get it? I remembered. Do I have everything I need? There's still about 48 hours to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thankfully, my mother, she will be getting her gift on Sunday. And J- yeah, your mom's a teacher, right? She was a teacher for 40 years. So it's also Teacher Appreciation Week. So you've got extra reason to send your mom some love. Pretty much. I have no excuse. <laughs> every day I send her. I, I, and every day I will continue to do that because I'm grateful to have my mother here with me every single day. And yeah, it's about moms. It's also about grandmoms, mothers-in-law. My sister is a cat mom. All motherly figures out there who are nurturing things in this world. A shout out to you this weekend. It's just a bummer the weather's going to stink. Also mm-hmm. can't forget expectant mothers, even yeah. aunts and other other guardians, who to stepmothers who take care of kids out there. All of you deserve this coming up on Sunday. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. If you couldn't tell, this Sunday is Mother's Day. So if you haven't made any plans for the moms in your life, you best get on that ASAP because time's running out out here, people. And, you know, I want to take a moment to acknowledge as well that we all love our mothers, but Mother's Day is really tough for some people, whether it's because you have don't have a good relationship with your mother or you've been trying to become a mother and are struggling with that. So, you know, I want to send some love out there to, to those people, too. Take care of yourselves. Do what you need to do. Turn off this podcast if talking about Mother's Day is painful or triggering to you. We love you all as well. Also, can't forget if you've lost your mom over the last year, too. And I know that has to be difficult for anybody. So, yes, just like what Sabrina said there, if it's a little difficult for you to talk about, totally get it. So for those who are still trying to figure out what to do for Mother's Day, we actually got some suggestions from Facebook. We asked KYW listeners what they would like for Mother's Day. And so Millie Perez says she would like a self-cleaning house. If that's something that's available, I would like that as well. Not a mom, but just in life. Michelle O'Brien says she would like to be able to sleep. I mean, wouldn't we all? (laughs) Same. I'm not anywhere close to a mom. Same here. (laughs) And Michelle Victor, so the Michelles here are on the same page, uh, said she wants a break and a time to have a date with her husband, which doesn't happen very often. You know, especially new moms, I feel like that's what they need is like, you want to get them a gift, babysit for a night and let them either sleep or go out and have a good time or you know, whatever they choose to do with some free time. And most of the moms on our on our page really just said they want to spend time with their kids and grandkids. That's probably the moms of older kids and adults, right? So all they really want is to see their kids and grandkids and, and spend some time together at the end of the day. Yeah, my wife says similar things. She just wants to do something that's fun, hang with the kids. Everybody has a different way of celebrating Mother's Day. And there's some interesting history tied to Mother's Day especially here in the Philadelphia area, because the founder of Mother's Day was a woman named Anna Jarvis. She lived here in the city, and she died at the Marshall Square Sanitarium in Westchester. But she actually spent a lot of her life fighting against the commercialization of Mother's Day. 
So we have to get to more of Anna Jarvis's story. So we've asked Jennifer Green, the director of education at the Chester County History Center, to help fill us in. Jennifer, thank you for joining us today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So let's just start at the founding of Mother's Day. How and why did Anna Jarvis decide to start Mother's Day? So the actual start of Mother's Day is a little bit of a contentious issue. But if we go by Anna Jarvis's story of the founding of Mother's Day, uh, Anna Jarvis was born in 1864. She was the 10th child of her mother, Anne Reeves Jarvis. And by the time she was born, her mother had already buried seven of her children. So she would ultimately have 13 children and nine of them passed away. And her mother was very active um, during her, her pregnancies, during her adult life, in trying to ensure better sanitation, um, better protection against infectious diseases. So when Anna Jarvis uh, moved to Philadelphia and her mother followed not, not long after, she, um, she remembered this activism on her mother's part. And she also remembered that her mother would teach Sunday school. And during these Sunday school sessions, she would basically, you know, she would say, I hope and pray at some point somebody will uh, will decide to commemorate the hard work of mothers with a with an annual Mother's Day celebration. So uh, after her mother died of heart failure in 1905, uh, a couple of years later, Anna Jarvis decided that she was going to to do that. She was going to fulfill her mother's kind of hopes and dreams. And so she started letter writing. Uh, she started trying to recruit very famous men like John Wanamaker and Teddy Roosevelt, even Mark Twain, to try and get a an official Mother's Day celebration, which did finally happen on May 10th, 1908, was the first official observance of Mother's Day at her mother's home church in Grafton, West Virginia, as well as the John Wanamaker store in Philadelphia. So that was kind of the lead up to the first Mother's Day. So that's 114 years ago. Do you know what those original Mother's Day celebrations were like? Because these days, obviously, Mother's Day takes on so many different forms, whether it's taking your mom out to dinner or buying her flowers or going to church with her, whatever it is, there's different celebrations. What was it like on the first Mother's Day? So the first Mother's Day uh, in Grafton, West Virginia, was a church service, which was very in line with what Anna Jarvis wanted. She specifically chose the second Sunday in May, not only because her mother had died around that time, but also because she wanted Mother's Day to be held on the Sabbath. She wanted it to be kind of like a holy day. Um, the celebration in Philadelphia was a little different. It was held in the, the court of the John Wanamaker store and had 15,000 people in attendance. Um, and they were all given white rose, uh, white carnations, which became the Mother's Day kind of symbol. And Anna Jarvis actually spoke for over an hour at that very first uh, Philadelphia Mother's Day celebration. So really, Anna Jarvis chose to celebrate her first Mother's Day in Philadelphia. So it's, it's a very Pennsylvania, very Philadelphia area holiday. Um, now, the way that was interpreted by other people was what would kind of cause Anna Jarvis to eventually and ultimately try and destroy Mother's Day because she really believed that Mother's Day should be in the home. It should be quiet. It should be reverential. She didn't really believe in gift giving or commercialization or buying of anything. She felt that a child making like a handmade 
drawing was way more important than buying candy or roses. And I learned today as I was researching this uh, from history.com that the, I've had this question forever. Why is it mother apostrophe S day singular when we're celebrating all mothers? But it sounds like she wanted it to be really between one mother and her children. And that's why she intentionally made it the singular mother's day. So obviously it got far, a little bit far away from her initial image. Um, yeah. What happened? What led her to start fighting against it? It was a few different things. Um, it was she really firmly believed that she held the copyright to Mother's Day, even though it was made a federal um, or federal. It was approved by U.S. Congress to be made a national holiday in 1914. She she did not believe that it was a holiday like other holidays. She believed that she held the copyright on Mother's Day. And to the extent that she would put together these packets that had approved songs to sing and music to play and readings to to read. And if you wanted to celebrate Mother's Day, you were supposed to per or you were supposed to go to her for these approved packets. So the fact that people started just celebrating it any way that felt meaningful to them was not okay with her. Um, she was the copyright holder as far as she was concerned. Um, so, and it really started to, to irk her when money was changing hands. So when the floral industry started selling white carnations um, and making money off of it, when the candy industry started selling chocolate, uh, she got really irate about that. And it, it kind of set the stage for her to get really irate about other organizations. So one example would be the American War Mothers after World War I. They were selling white carnations as a fundraiser to build a, uh, a home for mothers who are visiting their, their soldier children recovering in Denver, Colorado. And she said, um, she basically was like, these are just uh, welfare gold digger people, you know, trying to make money off of this. She didn't care what the benefit was. All she saw was people trying to commercialize it and the exchanging of money. Um, and she really did not like that. It's like, I don't want to pull a line from a movie, but it's like you either die a hero or live long enough to become the villain. I have a hard time. And that's exactly what happened to her. Wow. Mm -hmm. it, it's like I made this and I now have to kill it. From what I understand, at the end of her life, Anna Jarvis ended up in a in a sanitarium in Westchester. And people hear sanitarium and they think mental hospital, the really old kind of the term that they used to use was insane asylum. Mm -hmm. But we'll use mental hospital in this case. What was that about? So the Marshall Square Sanitarium, uh, it was historically the original Chester County Hospital when the Chester County Hospital built and they moved, they built a new facility. The old facility became the Marshall Square Sanitarium. And what happened at the end of Anna Jarvis's life uh, was really sad in a lot of ways. Um, in the end, her, this rabid guardianship of her idea of what Mother's Day should eventually should be um, just kind of consumed her. It drained her not only emotionally, but it also drained her physically and financially. And newspapers really began to report on this bizarre behavior, which, you know, we can't establish whether this bizarre behavior actually happened, but newspapers reported on it, saying that she would do things like send violent telegrams to the president of the United States, and she would walk the streets passing out pictures of herself as a young woman. 
they reported that people visiting her home needed to know like a secret sequence of knocks to be admitted. So whether any of this was actually happening, we don't know. What we do know is that even her sister once um, kind of defined their relationship as uh, continual quarreling and said that her sister had an abnormal uh, conceit. So there is definitely a strong, we'll say a strong aggressive tendency in Anna Jarvis that um, eventually started kind of turning into this sort of bizarre behavior. And in 1943, she walked into a Philadelphia hospital and she was seeking assistance. She was almost 80 years old. She was very weak. She was partially blind. She was living in poverty. Um, And a group of supporters kind of formed this committee to oversee her business affairs and raise funds for her to be moved to somewhere that could take care of her. And they chose the Marshall Square Sanitarium in Westchester. Um, They appealed for donations to support her care. It's reported that they got a sizable donation from the floral industry, although we're not entirely sure if that's the case. And she ended up living in Westchester for four years, kind of slowly deteriorating to the point where she was almost entirely blind, um, almost totally deaf and just bedridden. It sounds like there was at least a little bit of an element of physical health, too, behind why, why she had to live at the sanitarium. I'm always cautious with, you know, there are two sides to the story. And at that point in time, I think it was common for women to be diagnosed as mentally ill when that wasn't necessarily what was going on, just because of what people would consider erratic behavior. So, you know, I I feel like this one is probably kind of hard to really know the truth, but that's very interesting stories and nuances there. And I would say that her her ending up at the sanitarium was more due to physical health reasons than anything else. She was at that point physically incapable of taking, you know, of taking safe care of herself on a daily basis. So regardless of whether you think she, you know, what her mental state was, um, whether she was a strong woman who is labeled as hysterical Um, She definitely had some physical issues that required that care. And that's the kind of care that the Marshall Square Sanitarium provided. They weren't necessarily um, uh, like a psychiatric hospital. They were they were an elder care facility. Mm -hmm. So Anna Jarvis passes away. She's buried at the West Laurel Hill Cemetery. And there's actually a historic marker honoring her by City Hall at Market in Juniper. So her legacy does live on here in the city of Philadelphia. It's just so interesting learning the history of Mother's Day because I would not have guessed this. I think a lot of people assume that this is a holiday that was created by like the greeting card industry or by Hallmark or something. So it's interesting to hear there was, you know, real genuine. It all came back to a mother and daughter. It did. And Anna Jarvis never had children of her own in her perspective every woman is a child, not every woman is a mother, but every woman has a mother. And that's kind of the the mentality of her idea of Mother's Day was honoring everything that a mother gives to the family. Um, and Anna Jarvis just kind of viewed it as being very central to the church or the home, um, not really public activism or fundraising or gift giving. So she had a very defined idea of what she wanted Mother's Day to be. But it does uh, lead us to wonder and to think and to ponder what Mother's Day means to each of us individually, because it really has become a holiday for for everyone. Everyone 
knows a strong woman or a mother or is a child and everything. It means something different to everybody. And I think that's the important takeaway. Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on with us today to talk about the origins and the woman behind Mother's Day. Thank you so much for having me. It was a it was a pleasure and happy Mother's Day. Now, if your mom is anything like mine, she's also a huge sports fan. So maybe some of you this weekend might want to give your mom a little space and let her Watch these Sixers hopefully tie the series up on Sunday. That would be great. But in the meantime, Dave Uram has another unique perspective for our sports fan of the week. A couple that met thanks to, of all things, football. So we're going to take a quick break first. But when we come back, we're going to have a very interesting story about this week's KYW News Radio Sports Fan of the Week. I'm Jay. I'm Sabrina. I'm Brian. And it's Friday, and we do talk sports on Friday, or at least our sports fans here in the city of Philadelphia, and very few places have more passionate fan bases than this city. So Dave Uram joins us. So Dave, who is this week's KYW News Radio Sports Fan of the Week? Jay, we got a good one this week. D. Wright of Cherry Hill, and by extension, D's husband, Dennis, the Wrights have been together for 40 years. I learned about their relationship from talking with Dee first, then talk to Dennis. Great story. We'll go one by one here. This is Dee. Am I a rowdy fan? Yeah. Do I curse? Mm, I like a sailor. I know a lot about sports. So like when they do stupid stuff, I pretty much, I let them have it. Do you find that you're supportive too? Of course, especially last year when people were hating and, you know, like Jalen Hurts was, you know, is he the guy? Is he not the guy? Just the whole thing in general. Like you have to support your team. There's good times and bad times. But, yeah, I'm I'm a big supporter. I'm not a hater so much. This is Dennis, who's been going to Eagles games since he was 13 with his dad and his uncles. I think my dad was injecting it into me early to be a Birds fan, for sure. Like putting in the kid's left hand so he'd be left-handed or whatever. <laughs> By the way, that's an all-time soundbite right there. So, D, so D, <laughs> fantastic. it's awesome. So D and Dennis have been season ticket holders for several years going back to the vet. And their love story is fascinating. There are different versions of their love story, but both are good nonetheless. So Dee was initially a Pittsburgh Steelers fan because she was saying that when she grew up as the oldest of four sisters, she loved football, but the teams that were on were the Steelers, the Bills, the Raiders, the Cowboys. Those are the teams that were always on TV during her when she was growing up. So she became a Steelers fan. So one day, according to Dee, uh, and they've been together for about 40 years. One day, according to D, uh, Dennis walked into the, to the establishment that she was working at as a bartender. And according to D, this is what happened. I was a bartender at the time, and I used to always wear my Terry Bradshaw jersey on Bane days. And he came in one day and said, you know, what's up with the Bradshaw jersey? And I was like, well, I mean, he's how many Super Bowls do the Eagles have? Like, like, what the hell? <laughs> So he's like, well, let me take you to a game. And I mean, then the rest was history, as I told you earlier. So I asked Dennis if that's how he remembers it. And he doesn't remember it exactly like that. He remembers meeting her at a cafe 
that she was waitressing at. And this was his side of the story. My first memory of, of seeing her was uh, she was waitressing and I told my cousin that I was going to date her. Was she yeah, in that she Terry, Terry Bradshaw jersey then? I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to remember that. <laughs> and they're not exactly sure where the Terry Bradshaw jersey went, but nonetheless, their relationship grew. Dee became a big Eagles fan, big Philadelphia sports fan, and they've been going to games for many years as season ticket holders. They're big tailgaters. They love tailgating. They really have a good time. They get there early on game days, uh, several hours beforehand. They go into the link uh, about an hour before before kickoff, according to D. They love to dance. They just really love to have a good time. They sit in section 201. She says they dance, they sing, they have a lot of fun. They love going to Eagles games. The fact that she's into it and not just like sitting there with like a lump on a log and and that's fun and singing songs with her. And yeah, one time we were, we were able to get on the field and uh, we're standing there and we're looking around, we're looking up at our seats and I look down and she's laying on the field doing a snow angel. (laughs) What's not fun about that? Was it actually snowing? No, it was it was a green snow angel. <laughs> it was the first time I was ever on the field, so I mean, yeah. I, I had to do something crazy. So Jay, it's just a beautiful story of of two people who came together through sports, and Dennis said that sports basically kept their relationship going. Love of sports and love of each other will make your relationship last forever. Oh, that's so nice. I don't know that I can top that. I have to agree with that. Jay, the Philadelphia Sports Fan of the Week, D. Wright, and by extension, her husband, Dennis. That's fantastic. That's a seriously great story. They sound like they're really fun to be around. I can only imagine what it's like on game days. She's apparently been fully converted into a Birds fan, which is just simply amazing. Dave, great work as always on this. Thank you, Jay. Always love coming on the Johncast. And if you want to hear more about these other awesome, interesting, and rather quirky fans we have here in the city of Philadelphia, or you want to submit yourself, your friend, maybe your mom or your grandmother, we got the link down below in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. Have an amazing weekend. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. And we'll be back with you on Monday.